Uh, today we're continuing in a series that we started last week called The Power of Praise. And John kicked things off last week by, by zooming in on the life of David. And if, if you're newer to the scriptures, David is this character in the Old Testament that played a, a pretty significant role in the story of God's people. And no matter what was going on in his life, he found himself often in a posture of praise and prayer. Uh, now, many, many see David as a hero in Scripture. I just want to remind us, David was a royal screw-up, just like the rest of us. Uh, but in the midst of his journey of figuring out how to walk with God, he always landed in a place of posture, a posture of prayer and a posture of praise. And so we looked at his life. You, you can see a lot of kind of who he is in the Psalms. It's a gift that we have today uh, that we can read the Psalms and see what it's like to worship through kind of everything that we walk through. So there, it's a gift to us. As John defined last week, uh, praise is, is to express uh, approval or admiration for something. And it's a choice. Praise is a choice. We get to choose what we do with the voice that we've been given. Every single one of us gets to choose, and the scriptures are full of examples of people praising, praising God. God actually designed us to be a people that lift our voice in praise. We're created for this. We're created to proclaim the goodness and the faithfulness and the kindness of God. So it's in our DNA. Here's a, a few examples for us. Psalm 71, 8. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with the strings and pipe, praise him with the sounding cymbals, praise him with the loud clashing cymbals. For those of you that are not drum fans, uh, you would have not loved Dave's worship team. <laughs> Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This theme, it's, it's all throughout the Old Testament, right? And then it continues into the New Testament. We're, we're called to be a people of praise. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. John read this one last week, 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light, into his marvelous light. So, so it's clear, just in a brief kind of survey, that praise is an important part of our faith. It's an important part of our walk with God. It's integral to who we are as followers of Jesus. When, when we get together on a Sunday morning, what's the first thing that we do? 
We lift our voice in song. We praise God. We recount who he is and what he's done. Because it's our belief that Jesus is really the only one truly worthy of our praise. And so we lift up his name and we talk about the things that he has done. The act of worshiping together, it's something that that forms us, it it trains us, it shapes our hearts and our minds. It's a a formative practice. It's like like going to the gym and exercising, but it's it's a spiritual exercise. It really is. And, and if you're not practiced in it, it kind of feels like going to the gym for the first time. Like, oh, my muscles hurt. But we're meant to practice it. It's meant to form us. It's meant to strengthen us. It's meant to shape us. And it changes us. The things that we praise in terms of God, it, it shapes what we think and what we believe. It's funny, now, now neuroscientists have this ability to strap things to the human brain and kind of see what happens when somebody sings songs with other people. And what they've discovered is that your brain, when you're singing, in our case, when you're worshiping, your brain fires in a lot of different places and it actually bonds you with the people that you sing with and it builds empathy in community. It's funny, like neuroscientists are amazing, but they're just discovering what God wired into us from the very beginning. We were meant to do this and it was meant to bring us together. It was meant to unite us. And so we lift our voice in praise. Now, what we choose to praise is what forms our attitudes and behaviors uh, and interactions with others. So if you're here this morning, you you may be hearing this and and, um, you may be thinking to yourself, I'm all about like most of the things that happen in the community, but the whole praise thing, I could do without that. Like the singing and praise part, maybe even come in just a little bit late to service. Like maybe I only have to sing one song. Maybe, maybe I can dodge that piece altogether. Maybe if you're new to church, this is the thing that weirded you out the most when you showed up. Like what's with the weird group karaoke at the beginning of service? <clears throat> like I was just doing this in the bar last night. You guys do it too, cool. But I don't know any of these words. What are these songs, right? When you're new to faith, it's probably confusing. Or, or maybe, maybe you have a specific type of praise you like, and you'll only raise your voice if it's something that works for you. And Many people choose what community of faith they're going to be a part of. Determine, it's determined by the praise. Oh, I like the praise here. The praise works for me here. Wherever you're coming from, every person on the planet Every person in this room, every person on the planet knows how to praise because it's what we were designed for. In the very beginning, when God breathed his life into us, he provided everything that we needed in our very existence. It was meant to be this testimony, this offering of praise for who God is. We were created for it. But things got twisted uh, with Adam and Eve in the beginning because they, they redirected their praise. They're right, the enemy comes along and he begins to deceive them. Like, you don't, you don't really need to worship God. You can be like God yourself. So what happened in the fall was actually a praise and worship issue. They lost sight of who was ultimately worthy of worship. 
And they began to worship created things. They began to worship their own thoughts, and that has cascaded all the way to today. We have a worship issue. It's not necessarily that we don't know how to praise, it's what we praise. That's, that's the problem. A.W. Tozer says this in his book, Whatever Happened to Worship, he says, what happens to people when they lose God? It seems quite obvious that they get very busy trying to find something else to worship. His point is that it's impossible for us to stop worshiping because it's so much a part of who we are. It's going somewhere. And so the question for us to consider and reflect on is, what is the object of our praise? Think about this personally. I'm going to take a drink. What, what is the object of your praise? What, if praise is what we give our attention and our focus and our words and our admiration to, what does that look like in your life? What are the things that get your attention and your focus? I think Tozer's right. We're excellent at it, but we've busied ourselves in finding other things to worship. I'm going to show you a series of pictures to give you some examples, maybe, just maybe, maybe a couple examples. Let's look at this first picture. Strangely similar to what we do when we gather. Next one. I mean, maybe we should learn from them how to worship, honestly. Taylor Swift fans. There are a lot of things in our life that we get super excited about. Oh, I like that, I like that, I like that. Oh, I like that, right? This TikTok and Twitter, all those things. Maybe it's your favorite station on the news or on the TV. We're all directing our praise and our admiration somewhere. Obviously, that's just a small sampling. But again, we don't have a praise problem. It's what we praise. And I, and I want to be clear that I'm with you on this journey. This isn't like a shame on you type of thing. This is like, oh, woe is us type of thing. Woe is us. We, how often we miss, it's amazing how quickly we can be caught up in something. In fact, sometimes it doesn't even make sense at all. Uh, I'm going to give you an example at the beginning of the year, I took Zeke to uh, his first Seahawks game. And uh, if you've ever been to a professional sporting event, it's, it's difficult to not be overwhelmed by the sheer number of people that all funnel through a gate to go sit into a massive stadium and scream for three hours. Like the whole experience, and I get overstimulated really easy, like I'm also ADD, so like that environment, I went home sucking my thumb, like, after I was done. <laughs> Can ask Katie? I came home like... Uh, so I take Zeke to this game, and, and he, it's awesome. He, he, if you know my son, he's full of life. He loves that kind of thing. He loves people. So he's like, there's so many people. How can I meet them all, right? And so we, we go through and we find our seat and we're sitting in the 300 section and, and near the end of the game, unfortunately they lost the game that we were at, but it was a good game. And at the end, uh, the section that we were sitting in started this chant. 
And I, it was hard to understand what the chant was. I, I couldn't quite figure it out, but it just kept growing, and more and more people were kind of engaging in this chant. And it sounded like they were saying, show us the back. And I'm like trying to compute, show us the back. Running back, half back, show us, are they? But nobody was watching the game at this point. Like it had nothing to do with why we were there. They're just lifting their voice, and it's getting louder, and people are starting to cheer and clap, and I'm like, and Zeke's like, Dad, what's going on? I said, son, I don't know. <laughs> I think we're supposed to be doing something, but I don't know what it is. So I'm like looking around, and it's, it, everyone's looking down over to the right over here, and eventually this guy stands up, and he starts kind of waving people on like this, and the chants get louder, and I'm like, okay. Like, Zeke and I are clapping, like... And show us the back, show us the back. And I'm like, what? He rips his shirt off. And this is one of the hairiest dudes I've ever seen in my life. Like he had a well-groomed carpet on his back. And his shirt comes off and it erupts. Yeah! And Zeke looks at me like, Dad, what are we doing? I thought, huh, that's what struck me. This group of people, I'm talking dozens and dozens and dozens of full-grown adults and some kids had engaged enough, because this, this obviously happens every game, home game, enough in this ritual, in this practice of chanting, show us the back until a guy stands up and rips his shirt off and then everybody praises him. And we think that sitting in this room praising the creator of the universe is strange. Are you with me? Like, you should have seen the people. <laughs> You're not wearing a shirt! And we have a problem with praising God? Come on, what's wrong with us? The major difference between that kind of praise at a football game or all the pictures that I showed you and praising God is only one lasts for eternity. Everything else is going to go away. But God is going to be eternally worshipped. He's going to be lifted up for all time. And I'm confident that someday when we get to heaven, we're not going to walk through those gates or however it works, we're not going to walk through and there's going to be some dude leading the chant. <laughs> Show us the back. Show us. That's not going to happen. Nobody is going to be, if they are, I'm, I'm going to be so confused. <laughs> what people are going to be doing is they're going to be honoring Jesus. They're, they're going to be so caught up in who he is and what he's done. Like it, It's going to make complete sense why he's worthy of all worship and adoration. That's what we're going to walk ourselves into. Let's turn now to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to look at the story of Hannah, who I think is a powerful example for us of choosing to praise God no matter what is going on in our life. Um, the backstory to chapter 2 is that Hannah was married to this guy named Elkanah, 
Uh, but she wasn't the only one. There was another lady, Penina, who was also married to this guy, Elkanah. You can read about this again in chapter one. Uh, Penina had, was able to have children. Hannah was barren. And yet Elkanah showed more favor to Hannah than Penina, which created all sorts of like drama in the family. If, if you think like reality shows today are weird, just imagine if they made them back then. Like it would have been <laughs> real messed up. Anyway, so this situation is just out of whack. But once a year, this family group would go up and they would worship God at this place called Shiloh and they would offer sacrifices and praise. And on this particular day, Hannah, she cries out to God because she's been suffering and she wants a son and she's been getting ridiculed and she's, she's like, God, rescue me. Like, grant me a kid. This is what she says, verse 11 of chapter 1. O Lord of hosts, if you'll indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. She cries this out and, and, and God responds and he gives her the cry of her heart, but because she promised her son to the Lord, she ends up handing him back to service in the temple. Can you... Just think about this for a minute. You've been crying out for a kid for a long time. God finally answers your prayer, and then you hand the child back. Moms in the room, dads, I think this would affect you, but moms in the room, think about, think about this. Maybe you can connect with this story better than we can. This is not an easy situation. This would have been incredibly taxing mentally, emotionally, physically, all of it. Now, chapter two is beautiful because it's Hannah's response to this whole situation. She's handed her kid back over to the Lord. And here's what it says, verse one. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's none like, there's none holy like the Lord. For there's none besides you. There's no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no, not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones but the wicked shall perish, shall, shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. <clears throat> Here's what's really interesting to me about this. The focus is almost entirely on God. Do you notice that? It's almost entirely on God and not on her situation. 
it almost feels like the prayer doesn't fit the situation. Like you read it right after what happened and you go, did somebody like put this in after? This doesn't even fit. She just handed off her kid. Like if you and I were in the story, our prayer, here's what my prayer may have sounded like. God, thank you for giving me a son. Like you're so good. Now can you protect him? Like keep him from anybody that's weird in the temple? Like provide for his needs? Also, my heart's breaking. Can you like be with me? Can you, can you strengthen my heart? Encourage me? That's probably how I would have prayed. How about you? Just think about a difficult situation that you've walked through. Yeah, and you have walked through some, and there's some still to come, and maybe you're in the middle of one. When you think about praying and praising God, when you think about talking to God, does it sound like what Hannah just left us with? Like, God, you're amazing. You, you, the pillars of the earth, and that you hold all these things. People like eat and not, it's all in your hands. No, we tend to pray. We tend to pray. It, it's related to our experience and what works for us what we think should be happening and shouldn't be happening. I'm challenged by this text because I, I realize how often I allow the challenges that I face to become bigger in my mind than God. They just, they take over, like floods my system, it floods my thinking. And all I want to talk to God about is what's going on, and I forget who he is. Anyone else? Hannah's prayer and praise, it transcended the situation that she was in. She was able to proclaim who God was regardless of what she was experiencing. And in working through this series and the text for this week, I think, I think this is actually the beauty and the power of praise. I, th I think that's what it does. We serve a God who's sovereign. He's bigger than the things that we experience on this earth. And our hearts need to transcend sometimes the experience. Like when we lift our voice in praise and we remind ourselves of who God is and that he is sovereign, that he has all things in his hand, that, that someday it's going to be all made right because of who he is. When we can, when we can train our hearts and our minds to, to pray and to praise that way, it's almost like we transcend what we're experiencing. It doesn't mean we don't have hard stuff but we hold on to who God is as we walk through hard stuff. It seems to be what, what Hannah did. I often, my, just to confess, I think I have a transactional relationship with God. God, I'm, I'll offer you praise, but I'll do a much better job if like, you hook me up. Come on, I'm just being real. This is probably how we function most of the time. It's transactional, like... Man, when things are going well, I get my praise on. <laughs> like, God, you're so good. Walking around the house, my arms are like in the grocery store. Hallelujah. Things get hard. The wheels fall off. The hands go down. I get a little more. Huh? Can I ask you something? Is God any less worthy of praise when you and I are walking through difficulty? He's eternally worthy of praise. I'm not saying this is easy. 
I'm in the middle of this with you going, how do we live a life of praise when what's in front of us seems so overwhelming? I think God gave us his spirit to be able to press into that. Say, this isn't actually my strength, (laughs) but, but I know who my God is, and he holds me, and he holds all things, and I'm going to lift him up. I'm going to praise his name. I'm going to make his name great. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil. That may be in the Bible somewhere. Psalm 23. Why? Because I know who my God is. As John mentioned last week, the picture in the end that we get in Revelation is God getting all the praise and glory that he's always been worthy of receiving. And as followers of Jesus today, we are, I think about it, like we're in boot camp for heaven. We're being trained. We're learning how to worship. We're learning how to lift up the name of Jesus. We're invited into a life of praise no matter what we are facing to proclaim the excellencies of our God, and it's a choice. It's a choice. I can choose it. Tozer uh, has another great quote from that book. He says, "I, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. In the words of myself last week, put that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) Still can't believe that that's come out two weeks in a row now. If that's what it looks like in the end, if that's what we're heading into, what keeps us from living that way now? I think it's the same thing, and, and there's probably a number of things, but... I think it's the same thing that knocked us off track in the beginning. Pride. I think it's pride. Pride's a real bugger. Pride pride keeps us in the posture of wanting things on our own terms. Pride keeps our heart kind of in a defensive posture, not a receptive posture posture, not a worshipful posture. Pride separates us from each other. Pride, pride maintains the attitude, what have you done for me lately? Or what am I going to get out of this that's good for me? Pride kind of shapes its world based on what, what you want. And as long as we need to be in charge of our life, pride will keep us from a life of praising God. The enemy of our soul continues to offer the same lie generation after generation. You don't need God. You don't need God. You can take care of yourself. And we hear the lie, and we buy the lie, and we get ourselves all twisted out of shape. Worship team, you guys can can join me. In order to live a life of praise, sorry, my throat is not working today.
live a life of praise, we have to get over ourselves. <laughs> what we deserve, what we've earned, the ways that we have decided things should work. Because as long as we hold on to our need to be God, we will not praise God. And this is why the gospel is just so unbelievable. Because we don't actually want to know what we deserve. <laughs> Do you really want what you deserve? You don't want what you deserve. We're all pretty jacked up. We don't deserve anything. We're, we're failures and misfits and our worship is often directed in the weirdest ways. We distort the beauty of God's creation. We, we harm each other. We dishonor people. We, think of how twisted we are as a people. And, and here's the thing. God in his great love saw this. And said, I'm going to enter into it. And what everybody deserves for their wrongdoing, I'm going to put on my shoulders. So that they don't get the punishment that they actually deserve. I'm going to step in there. I'm going to take the weight of their sin and their shame and their guilt. I'm going to nail it to a cross. I'm going to bury it in the grave. And then I'm going to stand up and say, I'm bigger than that too. That's, that's the gospel. So it's not about how great we are, are, are praising. But when you understand the gospel, all you want to do is praise. When you understand the goodness of God in light of our failures, all you want to do is praise. Like when we hold it. And I think that's why... Uh, Jesus, when he was with his disciples and he's getting ready to kind of end his time on earth, he gathers them around the meal. You can get your communion cup. We're going to do this together. He gathered them around this simple meal. We participate in this regularly. If you're new to church, this may be another thing that's weird. What's with the little mini cup and the nasty tasting bread? Listen, listen. Jesus knew full well what he was getting himself into when he showed up here. And he willingly did it. And he, he gathered his disciples around him before he was getting ready to be crucified. And he said, hey guys, uh, <clears throat> can read about this in the Gospels. He said, guys, listen, I, I want you to gather regularly. And when you gather, and when you break bread together, and when you share the cup together, here's what I want you to remember. I was broken for you. Now, when he told them this, it hadn't happened yet, but he was preparing them. Saying, you need to, you need to get together often. Now, I, I've got some, I got some thoughts about this. I'm not sure like a little communion cup like this and a wafer with a bunch of people is what Jesus was picturing. I think this is a way that we participate, and there's beauty in that. But I think Jesus was saying, every time you sit around a table 
with your friends and family and other followers of Jesus, every time you break bread, every time you make a meal, every time you take a cup and you drink and you take into your body food and water and sustenance that keeps you alive, here's what I want you to remember. I'm the one who gives life. You don't have life because of you. You have life because of me. And so we are encouraged hundreds and hundreds of years ago to participate in this meal of communion, the body of Christ, which is broken for you and I. Because we need to remember who our God is, his goodness and his grace that is poured out on us every single day. The body of Christ, which is broken for you. Let's receive that together. The blood of Christ, which was poured out on the cross, it was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. We are free today because of Jesus. His blood was shed for you. Let's receive the cup together. <laughs>